Hello, and welcome to Pro Construction Guide series of ProCasts. This episode, we're going to provide you with some recommendations for weatherization projects that are actually going to make your clients' homes more energy efficient, so they'll appreciate that, more comfortable, but it'll also boost your sales and your profits. I'm John Gordon. And I'm David Dovel. And thanks for joining us. Pro Construction Guide magazine regularly brings you all uh, podcasts or a new ProCast built exclusively for you, the professional contractor. It's the only podcast for pros, hosted by pros, with successful contractors as guests. You can listen to any ProCast by going to ProConstructionGuide.com or by going to iTunes. Hey, we also want to remind you that if you are not a subscriber to the Pro Construction Newsletter, you can go to the website, ProConstructionGuide.com, and sign up for free. Also, subscribers get a free digital copy before the printed issue hits the Home Depot stores, and you can read any, any of the content anytime, anywhere. And don't forget to stick around at the very end of the podcast, uh, ProCast, because we talk about some, some cool little tricks this week. David's going to talk about how to deal with uh, some challenges when you might not be able to get hardwoods to match the existing uh, color. So that'll be uh, good information there. Now, in this episode, we're going to be talking with a pro who's been working for decades in various capacities in the construction industry. Our guest today is Todd Cox, and Todd's the owner of Weatherization Experts in Oklahoma. So, Todd, welcome to the ProCast, and can you give us like a 30-second bio on Todd Cox? Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, I've been doing uh, weatherization for about 18 years now, and we look for things that are what we call low-hanging fruit, um, sealing up mastic on ductwork, sealing penetrations, installing insulation, sealing doors and windows, usually what we do. We've had great results with that and saving our customers about an average of 35% on their utility bills. So that's what it's about for us. Okay. Now you said you said low hanging fruit, and in there you talked about um, uh, the a mastic, and and th- there's uh, I mean that gets a lot of different thoughts depending on the work that you're doing. But what are you talking specifically about, Todd, when you say that? On a HVAC ductwork, many times when we're inspecting an attic and we use thermal imaging in the home, we see that uh, the ductwork is either leaking between the sheetrock and the register boot in the ceiling or sometimes we're in the floor of a crawl space but we just inspect uh, the ductwork pretty closely and where the joints are assembled together we uh, use a product called duct mastic um, some of the industry they refer to it as duct butter but it's a uh, cementous type product that you brush on and it really helps ensure that the air stays inside the, the, the duct and so once you quantify all of those leaks together they may seem insignificant one at a time but when you bring them together like a hundred places that you've sealed that makes a big difference on the other hand all right so it sounds like before you just go up there and say hey we're going to do some mastic you've got some steps that you take before you begin the mastic work right yes sir yes and we we identify where those leaks are it's usually where they're connected to the plenum or at the register boot and then also where that item, it kind of leans over into what we call air penetra- air sealing or air penetration. But where that register is cut through the drywall or the sheetrock, um, that's a fairly large leak around the edge of that, too. And so we, we pull insulation back from those areas and seal those. So that's even though that's part of the ductwork, it's, it's kind of fading into our next step because the sealing that we do there is also chasing down wires and chases and 
and uh, plumbing penetrations that go through the attic plane, and that's where we have found um, over the years between lower door tests and thermal imaging and things like that that those drafts that are coming from above are um, done. And the, probably the most critical thing with duct, ducts that we feel is if you have leaks on the supply side, um, you're going to usually draw the house into a negative pressure. So then it wants to draw air from all of the cracks and crevices, baseboards, so on, because of the physics of what's happening with that negative air pressure plane. So if you seal the ductwork up, then that tends to bring things closer to a neutral balance. I got it. Okay. All right. Let's talk specifically about air sealing because you kind of moved us nicely into that, right? So you get the by by sealing up the ducts, you reduce the the pressure variance, right? So you have less scenarios where air can leak, but you still have some work that you said you do with air sealing, right? Touched on that yes, for a sir. second. Yes, sir. Going going down the duct work, you know that's the mastic part of it, and then about the time that we get to the end of the register boot, that's what we refer to as air sealing. So. That, that HVAC register, whether it's a return or a supply, usually has a fairly large gap around it, which produces an area where, you know, dust and, and air infiltration can come through. So that's the first step of it. And then we seek out wires that go through the top of plates of walls. And we're, we're talking about all of this from a retro standpoint, not so much new construction. We Correct. those firsthand. <clears throat> but many times if you have two-story construction, then they're part of our air sealing would be, uh, it's a common thing that we find, is there's usually not a great air seal between the floors. So the, uh, t- typically the end of the floor joists may be open and exposed to the attic air. Somebody may have tried to attempt at one point to put a fiberglass bat and stand up in that little joist cavity, but it tends air pressure planes just knock those down. So we cut a rigid piece of foam board putting that in there and then seal around the edge of that. And our objective is to keep that air from traveling between floors, which is a double negative because it affects the ceiling of the first floor and the floor of the second floor by just one little spot. So that's part of the air sealing we do as well. All right. Now, you guys just use like one type of insulation, right? What is that? All we've ever used in 18 years is uh, cellulose, and we use 100% borate cellulose, which I feel is is very critical. It's a benefit for the consumer in the long run because borate has attributes of being resistant to insects. Uh, most of them it'll actually kill because they ingest it and dehydrates them. It's not a toxic item, so it doesn't hurt um, little children or animals or anything like that or people. And uh, it's a great fire retardant. I mean, it costs about six times what the most common fire retardant used in cellulose today is ammonium sulfate, and it costs significantly more than that but the bottom line is it results in about a 50 to 60 cent per bag increase in cost which is fairly insignificant for all of the things that you're gaining by using it Hmm. so why don't you use fiberglass or spray foams well my experience with spray foam you kind of said give a bio on me i better give a background i spent 22 years as a firefighter on oklahoma city fire department and during during that time, I was 21 years as a hazmat technician, so I became very familiar with, at the time, they were called MSDS sheets, and now they're shortened that name to SDS sheets, so safety data sheets. And on that, it'll take it'll break down what happens to any type of a product when it's exposed to fire conditions. And one of the major manufacturers um, discloses 
Um, not all of them, but they all are the same chemical. In fact, there's some major lawsuits against the chemical industry that produces the chemicals for foam if a person wants to do their own due diligence. But um, they, it produces hydrogen cyanide, is the short and long of it, when it burns. And that sounds scary, but I put things in perspective for people because they think, well, that's only if it burns, which as a firefighter, that seems kind of laughable to me because nobody expects to have a house fire. Right. <laughs> they, but it happens. I've seen a lot of sad faces. But um, the uh, hydrogen cyanide, it only takes 300 parts per million to become a lethal dose. And uh, that's similar to having a quarter cup of hydrogen cyanide poured into an in-ground swimming pool where everybody in the pool would pass away in about eight minutes. So it's not something to mess with, in my opinion. No, so I know that's probably stepping yeah. on some toes out here. <clears throat> Fiberglass. Um, I was just at a house yesterday with thermal imaging. I was really shocked. I have to keep relearning. I have uh, when I am looking at a ceiling with thermal imaging and it's cold outside. I'm shocked at how how much cold air penetration I'm seeing making its way through the fibers and uh, showing up on the surface of the insulation. I mean, on the sheetrock on the inside of the home. You can just see the thermal disconnect that that causes. And I went up into an attic and it was 12 or 13 inches of white fiberglass. And I thought, this just blows my mind because <clears throat> if it had been two or three inches of cellulose in its place, I wouldn't have seen any of that effect. And I've, I've seen that many times. I probably have 10,000 hours behind a thermal imager. So. All right. So you said just two quick things. Um, Todd, number one is, so when they, and when anybody asks Dave or, or I about, um, cellulose one of the things we say is like hey it's going to be an inexpensive solution but you're going to have to come back because it's going to settle over a period of time but this stabilized cellulose you're saying doesn't settle is that right that's correct that's Um, excellent one of the manufacturers we used to buy from in kansas has been bought out by one of the larger ones and they used to offer a lifetime warranty against settling. They were that confident in it. Very but cool. why it works is you know, you're adding a little bit of spray mist in the hose as it's going down the uh, tube to blow into the attic. That moistens it. It's probably about 15 to 16% moisture content when it's installed, so it's not going to hurt anything. But it does cause it to be denser to begin with, which essentially kind of packs it down ahead of time, like a pre-packing effect. Okay. And right. 10 and Ten and a half inches would probably drop to about ten and a quarter, and then that's it. It would stay that way forever, as long as somebody didn't step on it. Okay, good. So the other thing you mentioned, uh, I think, is um, doors and windows, and those are typically huge culprits, or, or culprits. I shouldn't necessarily huge, but talk about that for a second, Todd. Okay. Uh, as long as somebody has, you know, at least a, a decent thermal pane window, the, uh, the going to a high-performance window a lot of times you have to weigh out the cost difference if that's uh, worth it or not because of the, the payback on it, obviously. Uh, Single-pane windows is no question. Somebody should consider, you know, adding adding storm windows to it or even better, you know, getting replacement windows. But uh, weather stripping um, is important. We do that a lot around doors. As far as windows go, uh, we don't do a significant amount of windows. If we do caulking, it's going to be on the inside, and that's mainly because in our region we have many brick homes, and, and there's this misconception that if you see a gap between the window and the brick on the outside, people want to caulk it, and I tell them that's only an aesthetic thing because right behind that brick is a white space that's allowed air to 
if you are getting air infiltration, it's coming around the back side of the brick, not so much the front. Got it. So it's just uh, more of an experience thing. And regionally, it may be different. You know, homes that are obviously homes that are sided or something like that, that would be a very significant thing to do is make sure those are caulked and sealed on the outside because we don't want vapor or water in there either. So. So, um, David and I get a lot of questions about where to invest, you know, weatherizing dollars. And windows comes up, attics come up, and, and we always say um, attic before windows. But you've also got some scenarios, and I actually have a personal scenario, but, but you've got some scenarios. If you do a good job, if your windows are bad, I mean, truly bad to start with, and you repair them, you can have some pretty significant impacts on energy costs, yeah? Absolutely, Yeah. The the thing is, is just you got to look at the performance of the window. You can look from the inside of a thermal imager at a window, and mostly what you're going to see is your reflection of heat off of the glass. So I tell people, you really can't um, quantify the, the how much the loss is on it, but you can do some common sense things. You can run the back of your hand around it, or you can do a blower door test and pull a negative pressure on the house and see if we're getting air around there. And then you can, then you can chase down those leaks, but. If you see a crack on the inside, then it sure doesn't hurt to do a nice job, you know, aesthetically of caulking it because that's just going to cut off that air. All right. So we've got a bunch of pros listening, and it's I always love to ask our guests to say, look, give me, you know, two or three simple summary points that you want our professionals to take away from this podcast. What would that be, Todd? I would say, you know, if it's in the, if it's in their mindset to do the best for the consumer and they want to get rave reviews from it is to focus on the low-hanging fruit, what I call it, is, is ductwork seems to be, at least in our region, a, a large portion of the energy losses in home. And then the second most important is the air infiltration and the attic insulation. And that's just strictly from a retro standpoint. Uh, doors... Are, are probably the next important thing. People, if you feel cold, they just they just don't like it, you know, and so it's yep. more of a comfort thing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't say that you'd save a huge amount on utilities by weather stripping doors, but your comfort level is, is driving that one. But mm-hmm. 60% of the energy, I feel, is going through that ceiling. So. That, makes, that makes sense. And, David, that aligns with what yeah, we talk about absolutely. pretty regularly, right? Yeah, right, right in there. All right. Listen, Todd, thank you so much for your time and expertise, as always. Folks, if you'd like to learn more about Todd's projects, about his company, about some of the things he's doing, you can go to weatherizationexperts.net. That's weatherizationexperts.net. All right. Now it's time for us to dig into the Secret Squirrel toolbox, uh, John and Dave's spare parts, to see what information or insights we, uh, we, we, we think is out there that we've kind of squirreled away over the years that we want to share with our listeners. So, David, what do you think? Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about this. I've had a, quite a few questions at our website lately um, where folks have added hardwood floors maybe to a room next to a room that was, was carpeted and um, – they uh, uh, had the, the carpet pulled out and put hardwood floors in, but did not go into the other room to refinish once the new hardwoods were laid. And they have a little bit different color. Um, a lot of that comes because old old oil-based finishes tend to amber, uh, which is the industry term, but it's really yellow is what we call it. But an amber light, as everyone knows, is the yellow light on the car, the turn signals usually. But... Uh, there's there's actually a way around this now in, in in the old guys that were in the finishing business for years would add a little bit of maybe golden oak stain 
to the polyurethane to try to bring it to a different color. Um, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you can end up with a bigger mess. But with the newer finishes today, the waterborne finishes, they have products called Amberizer. And what you would do is go in and stain your floors and do what you were going to do to get the color of the floor right. And then in order to get the, the sealer or the polyurethane on top to become a closer match, you would add this Amberizer to a waterborne polyurethane. And then you would go over the floor with that. And you just experiment and you can you, you would do it by coat. So if your first coat you got close, then you, you would do a second coat with more Amberizer. Or if you hit it right the first time, then you would just put a clear coat on the very top for your, your second or third coat, depending on how many you're applying. But that this is just a, a little tip that, that a lot of contractors don't know about. Uh, your floor contractor should know about it, but if they don't, bring it to their attention. Uh, Basic Coatings is one of the uh, companies that makes an amberizer, and there's several others out there. Uh, I'm just not familiar with those. But uh, this this does help out, and it's just a nice little tip to uh, to get you through a, a rough spot with a customer, and you won't you won't have to deal with that. All right, good deal. I like that, David. That's a good one, folks. If you uh, if you like what you heard today, uh, like us on iTunes or tell a friend about the Procasts on iTunes, and tell them about ProConstructionGuide.com. All right. Hey, um, if you haven't gotten your copy of the latest Pro Construction Guide magazine, visit the Home Depot closest to you. They'll have copies at the protest or go to ProConstructionGuide.com to read the digital issue. If you've got any feedback for us, give us a call at 866-647-2346. Leave us a message. We really do want to hear your thoughts. We'll see you on our next episode of Pro Construction Guide magazine's ProCast podcast. We're hoping that you're going to make us a valuable tool in your toolbox.